Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate teen mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi guys. Just to warn you, my mom is vacuuming. Because remember, I live with my mom. (laughs) Because she got her carpets clean this week, so now she's doing like obsessive vacuuming. And I don't know, I just can't tell her that she can't do her obsessive vacuuming. It doesn't work. It just, you know, life doesn't work that way. So if you hear very faint vacuuming in the background, I apologize, but it is what it is. I have to record this podcast tonight because I'm going out of town this weekend. Anyway, hi, 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 hello. How is everyone? I'm good. I don't think there's really any current teen mom drama to discuss. I was gonna start discussing stuff, but since the last time I talked to you, I can't really remember anything that's happened. It's been a slow news week. So I guess we can just get right into Teen Mom OG, which came back with two episodes. I can't. I can't, guys. Why does MTV do this to me? Who ever wants to watch two episodes of Teen Mom OG in a row? No one. This is not a good enough show (laughs) to play two episodes in a row. It's just not entertaining. It's not a bingeable show to most people. So I have no idea why MTV does this to us. I watched the first episode and like actually kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good episode. And I took notes on that, obviously. And then I was going to not take notes on the second episode because of just the way my week was going. I was going to talk about it. But surprise, I ended up having time to take notes on it. So I did. So here we are. I, like I said, I thought the first episode was good. And then the second episode was definitely more of a filler episode. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand, like, ever premiering two episodes at once or playing two episodes at once. It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I don't understand who that is appealing for unless you're going to play two episodes every week and burn the show off as quickly as possible so we can get back to Teen Mom 2. <laughs> Actually, I just really want this show to get canceled so I can go back to recapping old episodes. <laughs> that's all I want, and I don't think that's too much to ask. So, yeah, I guess we'll start. Oh, by the way, I did want to say before we get into it, I like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have things to I have things to say. Can you believe it? Me, Liz Bentley has things to say. Only my entire life. Um, one is that this has nothing to do with T-Mom, but it just popped in my head. I'm listening to the book Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is like young adult fan fiction. I'm not sure why I'm listening to it. But I am, and as you guys know, I like cozy mysteries and historical fiction, and I forgot about graphic sex and books, and was like a grandma clutching my pearls when this book is like graphic. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, wow, and there's a lot of sex in it. I was shocked. I haven't read a book like that in a really long time. (laughs) Not in a very, very long time. Usually it's just about like people saying chase until marriage. (laughs) 
in the historical fiction that I read. <laughs> I'm such a loser. Anyway, that had nothing to do. What I wanted to talk about was the four-girl format in that Bristol Palin was not in this episode, and I guess it's just not going to be on this season of Teen Mom, which I was shocked about, and that Ashley got wrong, because back when it came out that Bristol quit, that Ashley was saying that they were going to use, like, because they had filmed with Bristol for months, if not months, weeks. They had definitely filmed with Bristol, and so the Ashley was saying that they were going to use all of the footage that they had of Bristol, and then they would show, like, and then she would leave the show. So I figured we would get, like, six episodes of Bristol, then maybe a couple episodes of the four girls, and then we were going to get the remaining Mac McKee episodes. By the way, I know last week I talked about a Mac McKee bonus episode. At least I think I talked about it. I recorded an hour-long Mac McKee bonus episode that I'm not releasing. (sighs) Here's the thing. In this episode, I talked... A lot of shit on Mac's mom, on Mackenzie's mom. I'm not really an Angie fan. And then (laughs) a day after I recorded, um, they started talking about how Angie was like not getting released from the hospital. She was back in the hospital for pneumonia and that things had taken a really bad turn for the worst. Mackenzie posted a picture that I swear to God was like, would be posted on Reddit's last images. If you don't follow that, don't. It's actually not that great of a sub. But I like to look at that stuff sometimes. So I follow it. There's this subreddit dedicated to posting, like, the final images of people alive. I don't don't know why I am the way that I am. I just am. I've been doing this since, like... Honestly, I remember the first time this was, like, interesting to me was I was in, like, 6th or 7th grade. And someone I... I didn't know them, but, like, people in my shore town knew him because he was, like, he lived on the mainland, I think. He died, and I was very obsessed with reading people's AOL profiles. Remember AOL profiles? And, like, before AIM, before MySpace, before LiveJournal, before Zanga, like, we had AOL profiles, and I was really obsessed with reading the rest in peace stuff that people wrote about him. And ever since then, like, I have this morbid fascination with, like, the way that people mourn online, you know, including myself. Obviously, I'm not obsessed with myself, but I participate in this, as anybody that follows my stuff will know. So, I, like, any time a person dies, like, I look, even if I don't know them, I, like, have to look through their Facebook. I look through their Instagram I like to read everything that people write about them in obituary if I can find it. The comments on the obituary page. I can't believe I'm admitting this. It's sick. I don't know why I do this. I'm just very interested in like uh, internet mourning, basically. So where, how do we, oh, so Reddit has this subreddit called Last Images and people post the last known images of people before they die. And this picture that Mackenzie posted of Angie was her dad like, Sitting on Angie's hospital bed, praying over her, like, I was like, oh, that's a last image picture. Like, Angie was close to death. Um, She's still in the hospital. Apparently, she's, like, rallied a little bit, but I don't think, and I don't, I would not be surprised if Angie dies in, like, the next couple days. And right after I recorded this, like, I I thought Angie was going to die, like, that day. And I just, guys, I can't release something where I'm, like, actively talking shit on someone and then have them die, like, a day or two later. It's just, that's my line. I have to stick that line. So maybe if Angie gets better, 
I will release that episode. Maybe I won't. I don't know. We'll see. It might just live forever on my computer. Uh, maybe I'll do another. Mac- I don't know. It's because to me, it's like very hard to talk about Mackenzie McHugh without talking about her mom because I think her mom is like her greatest influence on her behavior and why she is the way that she is with a lot of her stuff. But if her, you know, I'm not saying like that dying changes any of that stuff or any of those views that I have, but I just, there's a time and a place. So yeah, I'm not releasing that Mackenzie McKee bonus episode, at least not for the very near future, maybe in a little bit if Mac, if Angie gets better. And if not, maybe I'll record a new one and just be a little more respectful in how I talk. Anyway, if you listen, I did release another bonus episode on the Instagram influencer Caroline Calloway, who I'm like, I'm obsessed with her right now. I can't stop watching her. I have, like, a really weird fascination with her, even though I, like, find her very annoying and uninteresting. (laughs) So I did put out a bonus episode on that. So if you're a $5 patron or more, you can hear that. There's also, like, a good back catalog of bonus episodes. Plus, you get Spelling Tea, Princesses Podcast. You should really hop on over to Patreon anyway. So how did I get here? Oh, I was really surprised that we did not get Bristol at all. Um, It makes no sense to me that then they're just going to bring Mac McKee in like towards the end of the season. If, you know, Bristol is not on the show. Like if they're going to have the four, like to me it would make sense if they had Bristol on the show. Bristol quits. We get a big scene of Bristol quitting. And then they bring Mackenzie in, like, when, I guess I haven't really done that. But it would be, like, to me, that would make sense. But it's not going to make a ton of sense if they're going to do a four-girl format, like, this whole season. And then towards the end, just bring in Mackenzie and make it five girls. I don't know that. I don't get it. Stylistically-wise, I don't, and from a storytelling perspective, I don't understand that. But I guess we'll see how it works. Um, I also... Don't, I mean, I'm sure MTV is filming, like, Angie dying in the hospital right now, which I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't know how I feel about that. But I liked the four-girl format. I thought it moved quickly. I, for me, it was easier to take notes on. Um, I think that we get a little more backstory with the four-girl format. I, although I am looking forward to Jade on Team Mom, too, but I think that OG could stick to the four moms. Um, You guys know that I feel like Cheyenne doesn't really fit on this show. I wouldn't mind maybe Cheyenne and Corey leaving and Mackenzie taking her spot and have it be four girls that way. I think that might work. I've been saying this, that Cheyenne and Corey should be on their own show. It should be a spinoff show and they can bring in all of their challenge and MTV reality friends and do a whole show based on them. I just don't think they make any sense on Teen Mom. They're not... They were never teen moms. They She wasn't even really, like, a young mom. She was, like, 24 when Ryder was born. You know, not 20, 21. I don't know. Just their life is so different than everybody. Like, taking vacations in Mexico, like, with your new girlfriend. It's just so different from everything that we see on Teen Mom. And the constant, like, challenge friends that are popping up. I just don't like it. I don't know. I don't think they fit in on this show. 
And I would like to see somebody else, I guess, Mackenzie. I mean, the one good thing is that they bring, obviously, diversity to a show that is blaringly all white. <laughs> but they just live such a different life. And I think I would be interested in them on their own show. Although I will say it's, like, getting a little more interesting with them fighting. But yeah, I liked the four-girl format, and I was happy with the four-girl format. So I want to start with Amber, who I was thrilled to see what she calls old Amber, I call current Amber. <laughs> oh, it starts out with Amber letting us know that she had quit the show, remember? Do you guys remember that? I honestly had forgotten that happened. Like, truly had forgotten that it ever happened. So Amber had quit the show, but the support of her fans changed her mind, and that's why she's been deciding to come back. She says she spent the last few months isolating, and she's finally ready to reconnect with her family. And I'm wondering when she says that if she means Leah, too. I'm guessing she does, right? Like, obviously. So she, Cousin Crystal comes over, and I guess that's who we're supposed to think of as family, I mean, obviously they are family. And Amber says she's like makes a little joke at herself in the audience. And she's like, I'm sitting on my couch like I usually do. And her cousin's like, stop, stop. Amber says that she's sick of seeming depressed every season. And this is like the gripe that I don't get. I feel like Amber last year had her best season ever. That like, this is what I don't understand. Maybe the first no because her first post jail season Matt moved in right wasn't that during that season it wasn't the next season I think that was her first season this to me was Amber's her truly the best season that we've we had ever seen of her she was extremely happy with Andrew she was taking to motherhood at least from what we saw on the show she was like decently involved with Leah she seemed happy she wasn't fighting especially like the come down for Matt the previous well I guess Matt was two seasons before that god guys I miss Matt Matt had another baby by the way did I talk about that on the show <laughs> because Matt definitely had another baby hey I, I think that's like his 10th child alleged 10th child ninth or 10th child that's wild but I just, I don't know, I thought Amber had a good season, so I just, it confuses me that she thought that that was such a bad season, and that was, like, her breaking point season. And she said she gets on social media, and she sees all the hate, even though she's just trying to help people, which, like, are you? I don't know. <laughs> I think Amber has a very inflated sense of her importance to people, which I'm, I can imagine anybody would in her situation. I can't imagine that it's easy to not have an inflated self sense of self in that situation. But her thing being like, I'm just here to help people. It's like, okay, sis, I'm not really sure how Amber inspires people. <laughs> but I don't know, Janelle inspires people too. So, you know, people are mysteries. So she says like, that she just blocks people now and she tries not to interact with them. And then she's like, well, I saw some articles about Janelle's relationship and it really upset me. So I went after David. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Amber. And um, she says that she knows from being an abuser and the abusee what it's like. Oh, I guess this is another scene. I didn't take that good of notes, I think, for Amber. But she's talking to Andrew. 
And Andrew says that she needs to get her vitamins checked. (laughs) Because of her mood swings. Maybe she needs to go to therapy. Um, Amber says that Matt abused her and that she knew what it was like to like, actually, maybe she wasn't saying that. I think what she was trying to say was like, she knew what it felt like. She knows how Janelle feels when everybody is just like going after her because of her spouse, because Amber used to just like get relentlessly rightfully attacked for Matt. And, but if that's the case, if she knows how Janelle feels, wouldn't you think like her solution would be to reach out to Janelle personally and tell her that you're concerned and not like get online and blast David because Amber used to flip out when anybody would blast Matt. Amber is, she's not doing well. Um, I thought this was funny was, oh, uh, Amber was surprised that Janelle responded, which is like, what? Is this your first time ever seeing Janelle in the 10 years that you've known her? Like, what are you, how was Amber surprised that Janelle responded? It, she's so, she's so disconnected from reality. I think that's the most frustrating part about Amber is that, and obviously this is just like her untreated mental illness, is that she barrels through life doing whatever the fuck that she wants to do. Like, having to give her opinion at all times. Hi, hypocrite, me. I know. I always give my opinion. I get it. But I think she just, like, barrels through this world. And then anytime anyone reacts to her, she's genuinely shocked that they're reacting. <laughs> like, I, and it's really incredible to watch. And I think that's why she's so affected by the internet and the fandom. Because she, like literally has no concept of how her behavior comes off to anybody else and expects nobody to have any sort of opinion on it and it expects her behavior to affect nobody. So when people react to it, I think she is honestly taken aback. And that's like pretty scary. I think that's like a really scary way to live in this world, especially for somebody that's on reality TV. But Andrew describes what he happens And he thought that Amber was on the phone with Janelle and didn't realize that she was on Instagram live. And Andrew describes it as her head rotate. He said, she's on Instagram live with her head rotating. (laughs) Which like, hey, Andrew, do you listen to this podcast or do you read Reddit? Because I always describe it as Amber's head being detached from her body. Like that's how she seems on, on Instagram live. Like her head detaches from her body. What if Andrew listens to this podcast? You know what? If anybody on these casts listen to Teen Mom Podcasts and not just listen to Teen Mom Podcasts, but found his way to the least famous of the Teen Mom Podcasts, it would definitely be Andrew. Like, I bet Andrew reads all the internet stuff. I mean, first of all, like, what else does he do with his day? (laughs) I feel like Andrew's very online. Don't you guys think that Andrew's very online? What Andrew, if you're listening, send me a DM. I won't tell, I promise. I'll keep it the secret. So Andrew says that like, and I thought, okay, guys, I don't understand what Andrew's motivations are. Well, yes, I do. I think that Andrew wants us to believe that he comes from a very rich family, which he does, but that he also gets money from his very rich family which I think he does not. And obviously he's living on Amber's grace and favor, just like Matt was. And that's what he gets from her. He's living in that big house. 
gets to have his little baby and play house and Amber buys some cars and gives him cash. And he's a kept man, basically. I know that's what he's getting from Amber. But I have to wonder if it's worth it. Also, we need to keep in mind that Andrew has those two restraining orders against him. The multiple stalking charges. We need to keep that in mind. Because he doesn't read that way on TV. So when I'm watching Andrew in these episodes, like, I feel just so confused. I don't understand, like, what this normal-ass guy is doing with Amber. And then I remember, like, he's not that normal. (laughs) He has issues himself. But Andrew is so calm during this. And he really, I thought... I think Andrew's pretty intelligent, and I also think Andrew's a good communicator. I think Andrew probably grew up in a family that talked, you know, like, I think he grew up in a family that talked about their feelings, and, like, they communicated well with each other, which we know is not the way that Amber grew up and not the way that Amber is in her relationships. So when Andrew says to her, he's like, you know, I can really see the thought process That, like, you get mad and then you have all these bad thoughts and it really snowballs. And Amber cuts him off. If you guys will notice in these two episodes, like, Amber does not let Andrew speak. Ever. And she's like, or it's just me who grew up beating a lot of ass. When you talk, talk, when you start talking shit, that's what we're going to do. And we don't go there. And you who grew up in Malibu doesn't know anything about that. And I'm like, what? How did we get? Andrew is giving her... And this is something funny about Amber, and she does this a lot. Andrew's giving her such an out and an explanation for her behavior that would actually make her seem like pretty, quotation marks, normal and relatable to the audience at home. But Amber, like I said, barrels through life, has zero self-awareness, cuts him off, and just starts talking about how she grew up, like, getting into fights. And so his spoiled ass from Malibu wouldn't have any idea what she's talking about. By the way, I've noticed that she does that. Anytime she wants to shut down Andrew, she's like, your hippy-dippy bullshit, your California bullshit. Even when he's just, like, saying completely normal stuff. Like, what did he say that they should look into a doula or something with the birth? And she's like, don't bring your hippy-dippy California bullshit over here. And even though it was, like, a totally reasonable comment... I think that's her way of, like, shutting him down. I, guys, Amber beats the shit out of Andrew, right? That, right? Like, that I know in my heart to be true. That Amber is physically abusing Andrew. Like, hard beating Andrew up. That has to be true. So, Andrew says, (laughs) when she's talking about how it's like, I have to be, I have to fucking come back at people. Andrew says to her, he's like, it's not your job to comment on Janelle's life. And I was like, shit. And Amber goes, but today I'm not like that. And so don't comment on it. You're being really rude. And I'm like, wait, what? They're literally talking about the thing that Amber just did. And Amber's like, that's old me. Don't comment on that. That's rude. No, no, no. That's current you. That's something that I really hate when a person changes, although we know that Amber has made actually very, very few changes to her life and to her behaviors and to her coping skills. Um, And when she's like, that's the old me. I hate when people say like, that's the old me and act like, no, it's not the old you because you're still engaging in those same behaviors. You might not be doing them as often, but that's still your behaviors and it's still your go-to. It's crazy. 
Um, we find out that the fight is, she goes, the fight is completely blown up. So I flew to LA to talk to Kayla about it on our podcast to put an end to the drama. (laughs) Because if there's one way to put an end to drama with Janelle, it's to go on Kaylin's podcast and talk about it. I, so they go to LA. I thought Amber actually looked cute in a lot of these scenes and Amber talks about how she wasn't proud of how she responded it she deleted after a minute but obviously people already had it and she doesn't want people to think it's her today which like I just said it is her today because we see her do this all the fucking time on Instagram all the fucking time all right we're gonna get into episode yeah we're gonna get into episode two right after a five second break Okay, episode two, Amber. I was a little confused by this episode. (laughs) So, in it, we see Amber's psychiatrist. Now, are we supposed to understand that she sees him for therapy as well? Or is this just her psychiatrist? I I do know that there are still some psychiatrists that do therapy. I don't think a lot of them, or maybe like it would be called analysis. Um, I do know that's a thing. But in my experience, you go to the psychiatrist for medicine. You have a long initial appointment. Then you have like your 15-minute check-in to get your refills. You can talk to them about what's going on, but you see your therapist for that. Now, like I said, it's very possible that Amber sees a psychiatrist for therapy, but I don't think she actually goes to a talk therapy or what she really should be doing, like I've said a million times, is DBT, which is basically the only proven thing that's helped with borderline personality disorder. Um, Amber says that her mood swings have been really bad and it makes it hard to have a relationship and she wants Andrew to go meet up with her psychiatrist with her. And she's like, therapy, she says therapy is great for borderline. (laughs) Which is like, yeah, so why aren't you going to more therapy? (laughs) Andrew says he wants tips on how to talk to her on her bad days and Amber says she doesn't want him to feel like he's walking on eggshells. So she says that Amber... Amber says that she doesn't film her therapy normally because there's a stigma. And, I mean, I'm 100% for Amber not filming her therapy. Like, if Amber is getting, like, tons of therapy off camera and I just don't know about it, like, fucking great for you, Amber. I don't mean that sarcastically at all. Like, you guys know that I think any therapy on TV is bullshit. I think it's fine that we went to this one session with her, but I really hope that this not, does not become a regular thing because then that means Amber's not going to therapy, which is sad and fucked up. Um, we find out that Amber in the last couple of years has seen like 10 psychiatrists and therapists until she found one that she liked and that she was very, very suicidal. Um, she said she's scared to talk about any of it because she doesn't want to be attacked. And I can understand that. I think what happens with Amber is that she will openly talk about her mental health issues and that people online see that as a way to avoid being a mom to Leah. And I think the unfortunate thing is that it is true that those mental health issues keep her from being a mom to Leah, 
But I think where the nuisance is lost is that people online view it as just her being lazy and using it as an excuse. But I think that she just, her mental health is so bad and she does not get it properly treated from what we've seen. I mean, now that we're seeing the psychiatrist, like, I don't know. Last season, she didn't even have a psychiatrist. And there wasn't that much time between filming last season and the start of this season. So she clearly hasn't been seeing this guy for very long, right? So I think that Amber's untreated mental health, like, really does stop her from being a mom, which is very sad. And I personally don't think that she's doing it out of laziness or selfishness. I think that the laziness and the selfishness are manifestations of her mental health. And I think where Amber fails is that she's not getting proper treatment for those mental health issues. But anybody with mental health issues know that, like, part of being sick is that it's, like, hard to get treatment and hard to stay in treatment and hard to be thorough with treatment. And so I understand why Amber doesn't want to talk about it. I also think that Amber is not a very smart person. Like, I I mean, we know that she's not educated, but I think there are a lot of people that aren't necessarily formally educated that are quite intelligent and well-spoken. I don't think there are any on Teen Mom. <laughs> but I think there are lots of people in this world that aren't don't have a lot of formal education, but I think are incredibly smart. But Amber, I think, has a real trouble expressing herself. I also think that she is so angry all of the time that she's unable to express what's going on without seeming like she's giving a laundry list of excuses. And I think for her, the viewers, it's like really frustrating. And when she says like, well, I don't see Leah because I can't get out of bed. I think that because she's so angry, because she's so aggressive, I think that it's hard for viewers to emotionally connect with that And they just view it as lazy. And I mean, I also think that it's just people being ignorant towards mental health issues and just not having empathy and not caring. Because Caitlin, who isn't angry and mean, you know, she actually, her personality is pretty different from Amber's, still gets the same hate and the same attacks. So I don't know. But I think people just don't like Amber. And so when she talks about this stuff, it's hard to view her through a sympathetic lens, unfortunately for her. So we had a quick scene of Gary and Christina talking and they're talking about Amber and if she's doing better and Gary says he doesn't know and he doesn't think that Amber will kill herself and Christina says that like, you know, basically they talk about if Leah knows that Amber is suicidal and they say that like they don't need to tell Leah about that. Like if Leah asks about it, they'll tell her. But they don't really want to, like, worry her with that, which, I mean, I think I agree with. And Christina says, like, when she would know about her dad's stuff, like, she felt so much worse and confused. And then we find out that her dad killed himself, which is a very interesting layer of Christina. I have a lot of questions on Christina. Um, Like, why? I mean, she's a lot older than Gary. I think she's, like, 36 or 37. So I've just have always had questions about why Christina, you know, left her ex-husband and cheated on uh, him with Gary, why she would step into this like messy life that Gary had where I don't even know if he was working, you know, he wasn't on MTV, he like barely had a job, he 
barely had custody of Leah. His mom was really raising Leah until Christina came around. His baby mom was in prison. He was still talking to her. Like, Gary was a fucking mess when Christina got with her, with him. And I've always kind of wondered, like, what? Because Christina seems so nice. I think we can all agree that she seems very nice. She seems responsible. She seems pretty mature. She's like a docile person. And I just can't imagine, like, Christina blowing up her whole life to be with Gary and to basically step in and raise Gary's daughter for him (laughs) and, like, run Gary's life for him because I think it's very clear that Christina is the one doing most of the work in that house. And I just... Finding out that Christina's dad killed himself, like, I would be interested in finding out when he did that. But it definitely helps me um, understand the dysfunctionality of Christina a little more because I think it's easy to be like, oh, Christina's a saint. Like, she's so good. She's pretty good at communicating. She's good at handling, handling Amber. She's so great with Leah. But I think when you step away from that and kind of look at, like, the facts as we know them about Christina's life, there's a lot of dysfunctionality there that really gets glossed over. And I think a lot of it can't be on the show because I don't think she's allowed to talk about her ex-husband um, she's not allowed to talk about her older daughter. The older daughter's not allowed to be, like, anywhere near the film crew. I think that part of that is just we're never going to know that stuff because, and, you know, rightfully so, like, I respect that Christina doesn't try and push, like, that narrative onto the show. If her ex-husband does not want to be mentioned anywhere, I think that's quite respectful. Um, but that's stuff that I want to know. Like, I would like a Being Christina episode where we could get into that, although... It'd be a little boring because I don't think Christina is that compelling to watch on TV. I like Christina. I think she's a good person, which is why I think she's not compelling on TV. But when she, you know, says, like, my dad killed himself, I'm like, okay, that make, that tracks to me. Like, that, that made sense to me. You know, we're just never going to get all the information about Christina because she's, like, married to a side character. She's, like, the side character. She is the side character's wife. So she's just never going to be the main star. We're never going to get all the information that I want. But I do like when they drop in these little bits and pieces. So they hope that Amber will never hurt herself. But, you know, as I've said, she has past suicide attempts. I'm always very worried about Amber. Very worried about her. As I've talked about on here, like, I see a very dark ending for Amber. It worries me. It really worries me. And I'll have to cancel this podcast if that happens, probably. So she goes to the psychiatrist and she says she's nervous and the doctor says he is too, which I thought was like kind of a weird response. (laughs) But I would be nervous if I was going to be on TV. So, you know, who who am I to judge? Um, She, they kind of talk about, oh, in the car, Amber said like the doctor was going to explain stuff that we don't know already about her. But like, that didn't happen. He says that she's borderline and bipolar, which we know. Um, they talk about, oh, Andrew goes, I'm fine after they talk about how nervous they are, which I think really sums up <laughs> their relationship. Uh, Amber says that she hasn't been doing well with her mood swings and that like any tiny thing will ra- enrage her. The doctor says that, you know, she feels attacked because of her bipolar borderline personality disorder and that people with borderline personality disorder develop that because of trauma in their childhood and they never feel validated in their feelings, 
which develops into this personality disorder that makes it so that they feel like they're constantly slighted, they're constantly attacked. Um, he says that people that both borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder have uh, high rates of suicide. And that is scary, but I think it was good and real to say on TV. Uh, Amber says that she'll do anything to be better. And once again, I wrote down, so why isn't she doing DBT? Amber says she feels like a bad person. Uh, Andrew immediately like tries to say she's not, and the doctor says she's not. And Amber says she feels like she's at war in her brain. And I'll be honest, like, this made me feel really, really sad for Amber. Like, I feel sad for Amber a lot because I think Amber is genuinely very ill. Like, I think Amber is, she's not lying when she talks about her mental illness. Like, not that I think anybody on the show is lying when they talk about it, but in particular... (laughs) I think she's not lying. And watching her, I think Amber's, this could actually, like, I feel a little teary-eyed thinking about it because it's just so sad. I think her life, like, is just a 24-7, like, battle in her head. And I think she hates herself so much. And I think she hates this world so much. And I don't think that Amber ever really feels genuine happiness. And that's like a very sad way to live. And I think that Amber is probably actively suicidal quite a lot. Um, I would bet her suicidal ideation is every day. And that like the active suicidal thoughts happens more than she would admit out loud. And Amber's frustrating to watch. Like I said a little earlier in this episode, you know, like five full minutes ago. (laughs) You were listening, you heard it, but I think that she has, like, an inability to help herself and to get help. I think her mental health is even worse than any, than not any of us, but than a lot of us could ever really imagine or understand, and I think that just living, I think just staying alive for Amber is very, very difficult for her, and that sucks. I think Amber probably also abuses benzos and alcohol and weed. And I bet Amber does a lot of drugs, just maybe not opiates. And I think her life is tough and it's sad. And it's really sad that she brought another baby into it. I still don't understand why she got pregnant. Um, Why she wasn't on birth control was just insane to me. I think her moving Andrew in right away and getting pregnant with him was a terrible decision for her. And I'm, she probably, I would be surprised if she's bonded with baby James, just like she didn't bond with Leah. And it's just sad, man. Like anybody that that is that sick is very sad to me. I have a lot of empathy for anybody that's that sick. On that note, let's go to Cheyenne. I always, we should say Corey and Cheyenne because really Corey is the main character of this segment. It's really crazy to watch. So Corey comes over with Cheyenne, with flowers. Ryder and Cheyenne are matching. And basically they talk about needing new boundaries because Corey is talking to Taylor. Taylor, we find out, was on X on the beach with him. Are you the one? I can't keep up with these fucking shows, guys. You know I don't watch these shows. And she apparently, according to some stuff I've read online, she is really awful. I guess she has some racist tweets in her past. Um, She apparently spit on someone on the show that she was on. 
and people do not like her. She is a villain in the challenge MTV reality TV show that doesn't include Teen Mom universe. So, I mean, I guess bully for you, Taylor, that or Corey, that you're back with her. Um, Cheyenne basically is like, I don't want her around my daughter. Like, I don't want her around Ryder. And Corey starts yelling what I think a lot of us were thinking, which is like, okay, but like, you had a whole ass boyfriend living with Ryder. And Corey, like, didn't really say shit about it. And, you know, Corey obviously, like, very much overstepped lines when Cheyenne was with Zach, but he also didn't protest Zach moving in and Zach being around Ryder all of the time. So, Corey and Cheyenne, like, basically get into a fight. And Cheyenne stays pretty calm, but Corey's yelling. And Cheyenne is like, well, it's not any woman. I'm not saying that you can't have any woman around Ryder. I just don't want you to have Taylor around Ryder. She calls Taylor her bed buddy. And I get it. I think what Cheyenne is saying... Well, first of all, obviously, I just skipped over this whole thing. As we all know, Cheyenne and Corey were hooking up. I called Cheyenne a a Ryder... Wow, Cheyenne or Ryder? No. I called Corey a fuckboy all last season. It was so obvious that he was playing Cheyenne. Corey never had any intention on settling down with Cheyenne. Cheyenne loves Corey. Corey doesn't love Cheyenne. It's really fucked up and sad. Um, The fact that he, like, will come over with flowers is just so fucked up. It's so, that's so skeevy. Like, why would he show up to her house with flowers? Like, he knows that Cheyenne wants to be with her, and he's walking in to say, like, well, I'm serious with Taylor now, and Taylor is my girlfriend, and she's going to be around your daughter. Like, it's just so skeevy. Corey really skeeves me out. He really thinks he's a good guy, and he's, like, an absolute monster. I don't think Cheyenne is, like, some fucking incredible prize, but she's nice. She seems like she'd be a good girlfriend. She seems like a good mom. Like, she's obviously very pretty. And has never really done Corey wrong, as far as we've seen. And I think Corey absolutely took advantage of the fact that he knew Cheyenne loved him. And he didn't love her, but she would sleep with him. And so they could have sex. And he does these things, like he'll show up at her house with flowers. And then be like, oh hey, like I have a girlfriend now. And it's somebody that like you don't get along with. Because I guess Corey and Taylor, or Cheyenne and Taylor don't get along. So it's just shitty. Like, he's just so gross. He's just, it's like textbook fuckboy behavior. And I don't disagree with Cheyenne that, like, if this, if it's Taylor you've been on and off with for however long, like, don't bring Ryder around on and off again. Girlfriends, like, it's one thing to bring her around, you know, your real people, like, somebody that you want to date and be serious with, but don't bring her around somebody that you're going to break up and get back together with a million times. Um, Corey starts yelling that it's, uh, not just her baby and that she needs to get over it. And Cheyenne's like, okay, bye, like, stop, please stop, leave. Um, basically, Cheyenne is annoyed that Corey doesn't want to hang out with them because when she had a boyfriend, they hung out all the time. And Corey's like, look, like, I have to prioritize my relationship over hanging out with you, which is true. Corey's not wrong about that. They... They really have set themselves up for failure with doing this, like, hooking up thing and the way that they acted when she was with Zach. Like, they, you know, they, they really, they fucked themselves because now it's going to be so hard for them to have any sort of boundaries ever. I guess Cheyenne has a boyfriend that lives in Baltimore. 
I know. I think she went to Hampton College, which is in Virginia. And so maybe she met him, like, when she went to college out east. But she has a boyfriend that lives in Baltimore. So maybe it's easier now that she has a boyfriend, too. But, of course, it was going to be an issue. So Corey goes and takes Ryder to lunch with one of his friends. I have noticed that all of Corey's friends, like, back him up on every single thing. Like, every single thing. They'll be like, yeah, but what about Zach? And he's like, thank you. That's what I said. And, um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that's great when your friends back you up on every single thing that you say. So, Cheyenne talks to her sister, who still goes by the name R. Kyle in 2019. I notice they just call her Kyle when they talk about her online or out loud, but when she gets her like Chiron caption thing, it says R. Kyle, which seems crazy to me that, you know, in the age of R. Kelly being who R. Kelly is, that you would want to keep that. It seems like it'd be really easy to just go by Kyle. Why would you want your name to be R. Kyle? It's not good. It's not good. I'd be telling MTV to change change the name on there. So Kyle says that that was like the first time she ever heard Corey Race's voice and she was really surprised. And basically Corey and Cheyenne like make up, but they, Cheyenne makes a point that they need to communicate in a healthy way because she never wants to see, she never wants Ryder to see them raise their voice to each other. And she says that like being a single mom is she thought that, like, she went into the having the baby thinking she would be a single mom. And she was a single mom. And it's really hard not to be a single mom and to share her. And she, Corey's like, I had no idea. How was I supposed to know if you didn't tell me? Which, I guess, fair enough. So, in episode two, um, Corey's agreed to not have Ryder around Taylor until they get more serious. But they are getting more serious and he's taking Taylor to Mexico for a week. So, a friend comes over to talk to Tori, to Tori, to Corey, and Corey's explaining that, like, this is going to be their vacation, they're getting serious, and I'm wondering, like, is Taylor going to be on this show? I feel like this is a lot of talk about Taylor, but we're not seeing Taylor, and I didn't really understand, like, why we're not seeing Taylor, if we're talking about Taylor so much, like, get Taylor on Teen Mom, if... You know, she's going to be a point of contention. Like, mic her up. Let's see her. Let's talk to her. So his friend says, for you to tell me you're going public with a female is huge. Like, applauding Corey for being so serious. Like, the bar is so low. The bar is so, so, so low. Uh, I will say this friend does make a good point where he says, you know, I know you're cool with Zach being around Ryder, but you have to understand that it's different for, for, for women and that it's harder for women. And to me, the good point was not necessarily that it's harder for women. It's harder for moms that do the majority of child care. <laughs> I think that's what was missing there. Like, I think that Corey seems like a good dad. But I think the reality is, is that Cheyenne is his primary caretaker or her pr- primary caretaker. And Cheyenne is the one that does all of the emotional labor of raising a child. And Cheyenne as she says later in this episode, like, she's the one that's been there through all of Ryder's medical issues. And, of course, that's not Corey's fault that he wasn't there for the first six months. That's not his fault. It's also not his fault that he's not with Ryder's mom so that he can't be there, like, talking to her all the time. 
Corey needs to step up, I think, probably in being there for the day today would be my guess. So basically, you know, they go on this vacation. Corey says that he can't live his life for Instagram. He can't be with Shy because everybody wants him to be. And Taylor's the one who want, who makes him happy. Uh, Cheyenne lets us know that after going official, Corey gets a ton of hate because apparently everybody hates Taylor. <laughs> Smash cut to Ryder gets sick. She gets the flu and can't keep down food. And because of her genetic disease this is extremely dangerous so she goes to the hospital for like a full week uh she posts a picture on social media and Corey gets fucking dragged if you guys remember this happening in real time people were flipping out like oh he's on vacation with this girl mom and baby are in the hospital like what is he even doing so Corey flies home as soon as he can i guess according to him and he's there for the last like two days that rider's in the hospital So, Corey explains it to his friend, and his friend thinks that Cheyenne posted that picture on social media out of spite, which, mm, I don't know. I think maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, but I also think, like, that's shitty to say on camera. (laughs) Apparently, Taylor agreed with him, which, like, I think Corey's somebody that likes girls fighting over him, and I think he's setting up a situation for Tori for Cheyenne and uh, Taylor to really fight with one another. So at the end of the episode, Cheyenne's mom is over and she's saying how proud of Cheyenne she did for handling Ryder being in the hospital. And Shy basically is saying like that she was really annoyed that Corey was gone. And her mom points out like, yeah, but he was out of town. And when he got back, he was there and he was really good. And Cheyenne explains that basically she just feels frustrated because Corey doesn't seem to understand, like, the seriousness of how sick Ryder is and that she, like, he's never heard her scream like she's going to die and that he doesn't understand that, like, these simple illnesses can give her a seizure and she can die and that Corey just, like, hasn't experienced that yet. And I think until Corey experiences that, uh, she's never going to view Corey as, like, her full partner, which... I can understand that from an emotional point of view, but I don't think it's necessarily, like, the fairest point of view. So, yeah, that's it for Corey and Cheyenne. Like I said, I just, their storyline just, I don't know, guys. They just are so different from everybody else on this cast. They just live this life that seems so different from everyone else. They seem so old, (laughs) even though they're actually younger than most of the Teen Mom OG moms. Isn't that crazy? They're like three years, or I don't know how Corey is, but Cheyenne is, what, 26? So maybe not three years younger, but like a year or two younger than the other moms. But she, they seem older. They just seem like they're in totally different parts of life, even though they're not. I can't fully explain it. Anyway, let's talk about Macy. So really the Ryan show. Surprise, Ryan's back on the show. I, for one, am happy. As I told you guys last year, I thought it was bullshit that Macy threw a fit and demanded that he be fired and then talk about him in every single episode. I thought it was really unfair. I think that even if Ryan is going to tell multiple, multiple lies, he deserves to have a chance to come on this show and tell those lies himself. And if everybody else can talk about him, he should be able to talk about himself. I'm going to guess that Macy got a large pay bump because I believe this is now season nine. A, I think we're in an A season 
And I would bet that Macy got a nice little pay bump for her to agree for Ryan to come back on the show. Um, I think that it only makes sense for him to be on the show. I think it's crazy to not have him on this show. So Ryan went to rehab for 90 days. It was hard for everyone and he's home now. Ryan and Mackenzie are living at his parents' house and Macy still has an order of protection in place. So we get a little scene of Ryan talking to Mackenzie and Mackenzie Joe, he's like, so how are you doing with me being home? And she's like, I'm about to go to therapy in 30 minutes. Ha 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 ha. Just kidding. And it's like, no, like you should go to therapy. <laughs> like that wasn't a funny joke because you desperately need to go to therapy. Uh, it's like they're having a whole family conversation with Mackenzie, Ryan and Mackenzie's parents and Mackenzie's parents look like physically pained. Like I, they probably have no fucking clue how they got to where they got. Mackenzie's like, you know what? Well, I'm just so proud of you for going to rehab. And Ryan goes, well, no choice. <laughs> it's like, that's not what anybody wants to hear, Ryan. Even if it's the truth. Like, when people are trying to compliment you on the thing that you did, like, nobody wants to hear that. I noticed that baby Jagger is very cute. And, of course, Ryan is holding the dog. <laughs> love Chance. You guys know I'm Chance's biggest fan after Ryan. I love that little dog. I want a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel so bad to just sit in my lap all the time. But I don't have a lifestyle for a dog. So, we got a nice shot of the outside of Macy's house. It's very cute. You guys know I fucking hate the inside of that house. And it looks even worse since she moved all her shit in, to be honest. It almost looks worse than the listing pictures. But it looks great on the outside. So, they're talking about Ryan being home. And I guess Mac has texted Macy that Ryan would like to talk to her. Uh, Ryan can't text her because of the restraining order. I, okay, in Pennsylvania, if you have a protection from abuse order and somebody, like, in Pennsylvania, that would be a violation of the PFA. Like, you're not allowed to have third parties contact on behalf of the person with the protection order. However, someone on Reddit said that they had, uh, like, a not, I don't know, I can't remember what they called it, but basically, like, a non-police enforced protection order which is just like they agreed not to talk to each other but I don't understand like what's the point of a protection order if the police aren't involved it's just a civil matter but like in Pennsylvania PFA is a civil matter except if you violate it then it's a criminal matter so I don't really know I don't really understand the Tennessee restraining order laws enough to get that but in Pennsylvania anybody contacting Macy on behalf of Ryan would absolutely be a violation of the order but I guess maybe not in Tennessee. So, uh, Macy is unsure if she wants to talk to him, basically. Bentley got a couple bad grades and Macy talks to him about it. And she is worried about, like, basically, after the fact, tells Taylor that she's worried about the drama and its effect on Bentley's. So, she decides to call the drug specialist to ask because she's just not sure if she should talk to Ryan or what she should do. She sits down on her bed, and I hope you all realize the writing pillows that she had, like the text pillows, because one of them said, like, Sunday is for brunch. She had a pillow on her bed about brunch, and there were other ones that I just couldn't read. That's tough. That's really tough. So she calls the same drug and alcohol specialist that she had talked to maybe last season or the season before and explains what's going on. And he's like, hey, like, let's meet in person, which I think is a good idea. Um, and I actually thought he was very wise and had a line that I loved that I'll get to. I think that's in the second episode. 
So, Mac and Ryan go out to dinner, and <laughs> Ryan orders a filet and a Bud Light. <laughs> First of all, Ryan's high in that scene. If not on opiates, on something. Ryan's fucked up. He's slurring. He's nodding a little. He can't keep his head at full attention. He's fucked up on some sort of downer. He orders the Bud Light, and Mackenzie looks like she could reach across that table and strangle him. She's so fucking pissed. And he goes, you're not having a drink to her when she orders? And she goes, no, I'm not. And he looks up at her and he goes, not a good look. (laughs) And she shakes her head no. Oh, my God. (sighs) Ryan says he just wants to be able to order a beer with his steak, which... God, that's something that a lot of, especially opiate addicts, struggle with. I know for a fact, like, luckily I never went through this, but I know that a lot of people that don't consider themselves alcoholics will get out of treatment and they want to just be able to be normal and they want to just be able to, you know, have a beer like a normal person or smoke some pot, like a normal person. And we'll see this in Caitlin and Tyler's segment too. Um, but unfortunately for most of us, it doesn't work like that. Now there are some people that can get out, you know, can stop doing opiates and they can still drink and smoke pot. Like there are people that can do that. But for Ryan, who's on probation, who is fresh out of rehab to already be drinking is just a terrible sign. I think as we all know, that he cares so little about it that he would do it on camera, you know, is terrible, is a really bad sign. Uh, that he gave no regards for, like, how that would make Mackenzie feel or look is a bad sign. Um, I'm assuming that he's already been drinking, which is why he felt so confident to order that beer on camera. <laughs> oh, it's just so, it's so sad watching somebody that's, like, an active heroin addict just like cares so little about his recovery i mean it's something i've seen irl a lot and it's really 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 frustrating and i do feel bad for mackenzie because like i said i've been there with my ex-boyfriend and it's just you just get so deep i think it's just like it's so impossible to understand as a viewer unless you have been in mackenzie's exact situation Because it's so irrational and you act so crazy and all of your behaviors are so insane that, like, it's so, it's just so irrational that, like, any person watching, insane person, like, just can't understand, like, what the fuck you're doing for good reason because you're just making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and convincing yourself that you're not. So... Ryan says that he wants to talk to Macy about all the shady shit that he's done. You know, like, threatening to kill her husband. (laughs) Just that shady shit. And then he says he wants to make amends like that little 12-step thing says. And this is how you know Ryan's, like, fucked up. Because I think sober Ryan at least would have, like, at least the, the knowledge, like, not, I don't know, just, like, not to order beer on camera, not to say, like, I want to make amends like that little 12-step thing says. <laughs> oh, also, 
as you will hear if you ever go into a 12-step meeting, the steps are in order for a reason, and there's a reason that you don't start with making amends, and that making amends isn't until step nine, because you have a shit ton of work to do before you can get to that place that you're ready to do that. Oh, it's just, it's just, he's such a mess. He's such a mess. Uh, Mackenzie tells Ryan that she doesn't want to hear, she wants, um, she wants to see words, and she says she doesn't want the 90 days to have been a waste, and it's like, they were a waste. Your husband is sitting in front of you, obviously high, you know he's high, you can tell he's high, and even if you can't tell he's high, he's drinking. Like, you know they've been a waste, and it just, like I've said a million times, like, watching her be so deep in denial is probably one of the most frustrating things that we've ever seen in the history of the Team Mom franchise because it's just so crazy. And, like, every moment of the day, Mackenzie is making a decision to act against her best interest for motives that I can't understand, even though I was in that position. And that's, like, how crazy it is that even though I've been in a position similar to Mackenzie, I like still can't understand her motives because at least I wasn't like getting the hatred of millions of viewers and like wasn't having people like all over my Instagram telling me what a fucking idiot I was. Like, I don't know how Mackenzie deals with that. I don't know how Mackenzie like can get on this show and talk about it and deal with it. That's why I don't understand Mackenzie's motivations. Like, I understand my motivations and maybe Mackenzie is a drug addict because I think a lot of mine were rooted in just being in, like, in my own drug addiction and being insecure and feeling unlovable and feeling like this is what I deserved. And I'm sure that that's mostly what Mackenzie's is, you know, just such low self-esteem and low confidence. But I can't imagine doing it on TV. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just so grateful. (laughs) I didn't do this on TV. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So Macy goes to see the drug and alcohol specialist and she wears this ugly ass things that matter jean jacket. And it's like a jean jacket with the big TTM logo on the back. And I'm like, who the fuck would wear that except Macy? I hope that was like custom just for Macy and Taylor. Like who would ever buy that? <laughs> so ugly. So Macy talks to the specialist and she tells him that she dreads talking to Ryan, which I thought was a really synced word, probably for how she feels. I thought that that read very true to me. Um, She says that she doesn't know what he's doing or not doing, and she just doesn't trust it. And Edward, the specialist, says that the hard truth about recovery is that it's not just one transition. You know, it's not just coming back and then he's better. Like, it's going to be an ongoing process. And... Macy, he asked Macy, like, what her best case scenario is, and she says that Ryan would prove that he wants to have a relationship with Bentley. And the therapist says, okay, like, how about instead of you just, like, agreeing to talk to him, you set some conditions for him that he has to complete before you'll talk to him, which I thought was a really good suggestion. He said that um, she should ask him to do parenting classes, take Bentley out a few times a week, and show that he's serious and do this for a, you know, a decent amount of time and then she'll agree to talk to him, which once again, I thought was really smart. Like give him things that are measurable and then she agrees to talk to him. Uh, he said, she does say that 
well, he says that Ryan isn't being a father and she says he's never really been a father. It's always been more like an uncle role. And she's worried that she's blocking a full father-son relationship because she doesn't trust Ryan and she just isn't sure what to do. And Edward has the line of the episode, which, I mean, I thought was very profound and I've never heard this, honestly. Like in all my years of recovery, I just haven't heard somebody lay it out like this when he says, when you're trying to help someone in recovery, never work harder than them. I mean, I've definitely heard, like, that concept and thought that concept. I've just never heard it laid out so clearly and succinctly, and that was really good. So, episode two starts with Macy saying she decided to meet up with Ryan, and then he got arrested. As you all remember, he got arrested for walking out on a $36 bar tab, of which he had six Jack and Cokes in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. Macy says she isn't sure what to tell Bentley, and Taylor's like, you have to tell him. And her producer comes out dressed like a mime. Did you all realize that? She was wearing a beret and, like, a black and white striped shirt. Um, Macy says that she's going to tell him, but it has to be alone. It has to be off camera. And she's worried because she knows Bentley has his hopes up this time. And she also knows that as soon as she tells him that he's in trouble, he's going to, if not by word, he's going to ask, like, well, did dad mess up? And she knows that he knows that it's about drugs. So, we find out Ryan has to sit in jail waiting for his court hearing, and Bentley was disappointed to hear him, but she reminded him that Ryan loves him no matter what. So, Mackenzie goes out to dinner with a friend named Shelby, and Mac is, like, laughing about it. She's like, (laughs) Ryan's back in jail. (sighs) I'm just having real deja vu to me being a 23-year-old fucking idiot throwing my life away over someone. I was just lucky enough not to marry them and have a baby with them, and... Also, I already have another child and go on TV. (sighs) She says that he didn't pay the $30 bar tab, but because it's a probation violation, every time he gets arrested while on probation, it's going to come up as a heroin, a possession of heroin charge, and everybody thinks that it's for heroin. And she's like, so it makes it look like every single time it's for that. And it's not even, and her friend goes, but that's not even that bad. He's doing really good. And it's like, No, he's not. He was drinking in the middle of the day. Hard liquor. Like, what the fuck was Ryan doing drinking? Okay. I, my guess would be he wasn't by himself with six Jack and Cokes. But let's say even if he had two of them, like, why on a Wednesday afternoon are you having two Jack and Cokes ever if you are somebody that's, like, trying to do better in your life? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, why are you drinking Jack Daniels during the day? First of all, you shouldn't be drinking Jack Daniels at all, ever, when you're a recovery opiate addict. In Ryan's situation, and you're still on probation, and you're just fresh out of rehab. But, like, why you're drinking it in the middle of the fucking day <laughs> oh, is even worse. So, she says there are basically three options that Ryan could let go, which she knows isn't going to happen. He could get house arrest, or he's going to sit in jail. And Max says, you know, I've been there for all his arrests, and I think she meant just, like, with him through it, not, like, physically with him. And she says, you know, I didn't sign up to be a single mother, which is an insane statement. Like, Mackenzie lives on another planet than the rest of us. Like, you had a baby with an active heroin addict. Active heroin addict. Which you knew, because remember, when you got arrested before she, after she got pregnant, he had already been on probation. Like, she, he had already been arrested for heroin. Like, she knew about it. 
and she still got married to him and she still chose to have a baby with him. <sighs> Crazy. So Mac is over at the Edwards house. Ryan is court on Monday. He was charged with theft and violation of probation. Um, Kiki comes in and she asks Mac to explain more about the possession of heroin charge. And Mac gets up and she's like, I'm done. I'm done in her super dramatic way. And Kiki sits down and is like, okay, like, I don't really know why she just reacted like that. I think it's probably very hard to film with Mackenzie. I think Mackenzie is a real diva and a real brat. I know I'd bet it's very rude to crew. She gives off a very, I think she just is a rude person. I think that's obviously why people don't like her is that she just gives off a very rude vibe. And I think Kiki even says like, well, I talked to Mackenzie on the phone and she said like, the best way to deal with this is to face it head on. So I thought she would want to talk about it. And my thing, it's like, Mackenzie, get off this. F- I mean, she has to be on the show. They have no money, I'm assuming. Um, but Mackenzie, like, if you don't want to talk about Ryan getting arrested and being on probation for heroin and then getting arrested and going to jail, then, like, you can't be on a reality show with a husband that's a heroin addict who's not staying clean. Like, that's your reality. This is your job. Hey, <laughs> hey. So, Larry, Jen doesn't really say much, but Larry says, you know, it's a $30 bar tab. It's really not a big deal. Like, it's not like he did something really bad. And I agree with them. Like, whatever. He worked. He walked out on a $30 bar tab. Like, that's not in the grand scheme of, like, doing bad things. Like, that one act itself is not a huge deal. But he's, like, he's on probation and it's an issue. Uh, he says the judge is extremely fed up with Ryan. He doesn't want to see Ryan and that Ryan is making bad choice after bad choice. And yeah, Ryan or Larry's exactly right. Um, I think the reason that he got charged, because I know that eventually supposedly or whatever, the bar tab thing was dropped. He supposedly never did it according to Mackenzie, you know, but you're not, when you're on probation, you're not allowed to, like, get arrested. Like, you're not allowed to have police contact like that. Like, you're not supposed to have really any police contact and any police contact. You're supposed to, like, uh, report to your PO. And so that's why he got a probation, a violation charge. Um, so Macy and Keely meet up and she, Macy's telling Keely all about it. And Macy says that, like, you know, it's going to be easy for Bentley to move on and forget. It's natural. It's a child and it's his father. She says, but I'm enraged and I'm livid for him. And I thought, yeah, I get that. I think that's, I don't know. I thought Macy had a good episode. She had a good episode. So Kiki meets up with Larry outside the courthouse and basically we find out that Ryan took 90 days. Well, I guess Macy tells us that because Larry told her, I don't know, my notes are a little bad right here. But Ryan took 90 days. Um, I believe that he took that 90 days and then he's off probation when he gets out. But they'll probably go into that more in the next episode. Um, Macy is like, why the fuck was he like sitting at home drinking Jack and Coke at noon on a Wednesday? Or not sitting at home. Why was he drinking Jack and Coke at noon on a Wednesday? And I was like, thank you, Macy. <laughs> Macy and I are the only ones who seem to have this concern. She's like, you know, Bentley was on Christmas break. You mean he has Bentley, he has Huddles, he has Jagger, and you're telling me that he didn't have anything better to do except to go hang out at a bar and get drunk? And I was like, exactly, Macy. Macy's the only one with some damn sense. Uh, So I am, I mean, thrilled that Ryan is back on this show, and I'm definitely interested to see 
where this goes in the future. So let's go on to Kate, who, guys, I'm proud of Caitlin. Caitlin, in my opinion, is doing really fucking good. I think she had a great first two episodes. You guys know that I've been really rooting for Caitlyn. I really want to see the best with Caitlyn and for Caitlyn. So, Caitlyn's seven months pregnant and they are ending their separation tomorrow. She said that she has gained a lot of confidence during the separation because she's been the one primarily parenting Nova. She's been the one with Nova and that she realized that she can parent on her own which is great. So Nova, Kate does talk with um, the producer about how Nova needs nonstop attention from her and that she's very clingy with her. Her producer asks her, you know, what does Nova know about the separation? But like, Nova's four. <laughs> Not even four at that point. This was filmed, I think, in December. So Nova's three at that point. And she's like, we just saw our daddies at the new house working. And I'm like, yeah, what are we gonna do? Set down a three-year-old and explain trial separation to her? <laughs> Ay, 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 ay. So they're going to move into the new house. I'm wondering, like, are they selling their old house? Are they just going to own three houses like they do now? I think they bought the first two houses up, like, in cash. So they don't have mortgages on them. But it just seems crazy to be sitting on that property and they don't seem to be running them out. They have to pay taxes on them and pay the utilities and stuff. So Tyler goes out with a friend and... Oh, wait. First, they talk to the producer, and he says that Kate's been doing really well, and Kate says she just doesn't want Tyler to feel like a caretaker again. And what I thought was really good and where I was impressed is that I think that Kate has come around a lot more, or at least is pretending to have come around a lot more, having empathy for Tyler's situation. I think that Kate was in such a dark place that she couldn't even see what Tyler was going through, and Tyler got totally lost in that situation And I think that, you know, we kind of ended last season with Kate. Was it the end of the last season? I can't remember. But last season, Kate being like, I don't understand why you feel this way. I didn't even know that you weren't happy. (laughs) Like Kate basically being totally blindsided by Tyler being unhappy, even though it was obvious to everybody that was watching, just because she was so deep in her own shit. And I think it's good that least the things that she's saying this episode seems like she really understands where Tyler is and it seems like Tyler being happy is a big priority to her again and I think that's really important because if they want to stay married which apparently they do want to stay married then they need to have each other's best interests at heart and I think they really lost that for I mean quite a long time. So Tyler goes out with his friend and basically says like look we saw each other every day it might, where like every few days, it might not have been like a traditional separation. It was just what we needed to do and we did it our way and we needed space. And, you know, if everybody doesn't like understand that, that's fine, but it really worked for us. And I thought that was a great way of explaining it. I think that they probably should have said it like that to begin with. But to be fair, like, I don't think they knew that that's what they wanted or needed until they started to do it. So the house, by the way, looks beautiful from the outside. I'm like obsessed with the blue color that they painted it with the white trim. The porch looks amazing. Like the interior decorating, you know, I'm a little confused on some of the paint choices on the inside. Some of the floor choices are a little weird. Tyler has a not a very good eye, in my opinion, for decorating. 
But, like, the actual bones of the house, Tyler did, I think, a very, very good job renovating or, like, at least having a part in the renovation of that home. So, um, Nova's having, like, a hissy fit about going down for naps. They're trying to get her on a good routine before the baby comes. And Kim comes over to talk to them. And, okay, Kim and Tyler and Kate need to work on their boundaries together. Kim is very abrasive, she's very harsh, and she's very into telling it like it is in a way that I don't think is always necessary. I think sometimes it's good, but I don't know. She just seems so pushy, and I think part of that is because Tyler has made Kim, like, his sounding board for all of his issues that's wrong with Kate, and, you know, they get together and they talk shit on Kate, and Tyler... (sighs) needs to have like a friend in this role and I think Kim being the person that he goes to has set up a really weird and inappropriate dynamic that I don't think Kim is intentionally trying to be mean to Kate but I think it seems mean so Kim's like you know it's gonna be hard when the new baby comes and it's like yeah I just saw this so as you guys all know my best friend just had her fourth baby and people would always be like that's gonna be so hard like are you gonna be able to deal with that and she'd be like yeah (laughs) it's really like When people, like, Kate's having the baby. Like, she's pregnant. Like, she knows it's going to be hard. But she's supposed to say, like, oh, shit, it is. Like, let's change our minds here. Let's give this one up for adoption, too. I don't know. It's just, like, that's not helpful talk. You know what I mean? So, Kim says you guys are still going to go to counseling after the baby comes. And they said, yeah, of course. And she's like, well, I'm worried about the postpartum with Kate. And Kate's like, well, I go to, you know, my own counseling for that. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with uh, with our couples counseling. So they have a talk about the separation, but I don't know if Kim is, I don't think Kim is here for this. And I just took a shitty job doing, I did a shitty job doing my notes, but Kate basically says like, you know, she was really hurt and upset when he asked for it, but it was a good thing and that she needed the time to herself and that Kate needed the time to worry about himself And she said, like, the most important thing was that she realized for the first time, like, she can be single if she needs to. And, like, if Tyler wants to get a divorce, like, she'll be okay and she'll be able to be a mom on her own. And she said, which this was, like, I was so fucking proud of Kate when she said this. She said, I want you forever, but I don't need you forever. And I was like, that's huge. I think that's, even if Kate is faking it, Even if Kate doesn't 100% feel that way, for her to be able to say that is so good. And I think that's what Tyler wants to hear. Like, I think Tyler wants to hear, like, I don't need you from her. I think that's a relief for him. I think he wants to be, I don't think he has ever liked the desperation that he feels from Kate when it comes to, like, him being with her. So... I'm really glad to hear that. So in episode two, Caitlin's not really in it. It's mostly a Tyler episode because he's going to visit Butch before the baby comes. Um, Amber's still sober and doing well. And Tyler does say that he's having trouble with his role now that they're sober because he is used to being the helper and the fixer. And he's not really sure like how to redefine his position. I thought that was pretty profound and I think he definitely learned that in therapy. I'm hearing a lot of therapy talk from Caitlin and Tyler, but in my opinion, it's okay. Sometimes someone will go to therapy and they'll start talking like a, 
with their therapy talk, you can tell they're not actually applying it to themselves. They're just talking, like, they're just regurgitating the things that they heard. But I think what I'm liking with Kate and Tyler, at least in these first two episodes, it seems like they're taking the therapy talk to heart and they're living and making changes based on the therapy. So we're naturally hearing it. And that's great. And I'm happy for them. So Tyler just, like, he just, like, isn't sure how to redefine his helper role. And I think that's very natural for the child of alcoholics. I think that anybody that's ever been in the enabler codependency role really struggles with that. So Butch is out of sober living and Tyler and his friend Jordan, who's Jordan, I don't know, but he's there, go and have lunch with Butch. And Butch says he, you know, things haven't been that great. He's not going to meetings. He's not helping people. And he hasn't been drinking, but he's doing marijuana maintenance. Now, I realize most people probably don't know this, so let me just quickly explain. When he says he's doing marijuana maintenance, he's not talking about, like, he's on medical marijuana with, like, a doctor who has given him, like, a maintenance plan. Marijuana maintenance is a term in the 12-step rooms, mostly in AA, because it's definitely said in NA, but I would say it's more technically an AA term. Because AA doesn't have an official stance on marijuana or any outside drugs, in case you guys didn't know. When AA says sober, at least according to, like, the big book and traditions, it just means sober from alcohol. Where NA means, like, they're clean from all mind-altering substances. Um, include, and they say specifically, like, alcohol is a drug and weed is definitely, definitely, definitely included in that. But technically, you can be an AA and smoke weed and be sober it's a, it's a thing. I personally would never have a sponsor that smokes weed because I can't smoke weed. Um, and I would never smoke weed. Well, not never, but as of right now, like to me, in my opinion, you're not really sober according to the 12 steps. If you're smoking pot, if you want to smoke pot and not drink and not do other drugs, like I think that's great. Like if you can just smoke pot, I think there are a lot of people that pot really helps that are sober. Like I think that's awesome. I just personally, like, I don't want to hear about it in AA ever. I don't want to ever hear about weed in AA and that you smoke weed. And I personally couldn't have a sponsor that smokes weed because that just doesn't jive with the type of program that I work. But if you, like, if that's the type of program you want to work, like, you do you. Like, that that's not for me to judge. It just wouldn't, I don't want to hear about it in the rooms. Um, but marijuana maintenance is a derogatory term used to describe people that get off, well, usually get off alcohol and still smoke pot, like, <laughs> basically means, like, you're not doing actually the work to help yourself and you're just smoking and numbing yourself out and you're not dealing with any of your problems. That's what it means when they say, like, a marijuana maintenance. It's not a positive phrase. Um, and Butch is definitely saying it, like, in a self-deprecating way when he says, like, well, I'm on that marijuana maintenance. He's like, I don't think Tyler totally got the full context of it, but it's definitely not a positive phrase. It's something that you would say to kind of um, take away the seriousness of the fact that, like, you're not doing 12 steps anymore and you're not an AA anymore. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's definitely... That's what, like, that's what marijuana maintenance means. And that's why they were using that phrase specifically over and over again. Not because it, like, came from a doctor. It's just, it's a 12-step phrase. 
Um, like you'll hear people share in meetings like, well, I stopped drinking and then, you know, I did 10 years of marijuana maintenance, but I was really miserable. It wasn't helping me with anything. And it just means like, yeah, it helped me stop drinking, but like I still wasn't happy in my life and I was basically dry drunk. So that's what marijuana maintenance is. He says that it's helping with his stress and anxiety. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, sure. And then he says, I've loved marijuana since I first smoked it at eight years old. And I was like, yep, that's not good. Um, well, first of all, smoking weed at eight is really young, but I smoked weed when I was 11, so that's not, I mean, there is a big difference between an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old, just, you know, I was in middle school, not elementary school, but 11 is still much, 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 much too young, especially now that I'm a grown adult, looking back to 11 is, like, not great, um, but the fact that he was saying that he loved it since he first started smoking is, like, very much, in my opinion, just the way a drug addict would talk about something and the fact that he, I don't know, I don't know, when he's, like, when you have a long history of drug addiction, you're like, I've always loved weed, and you're trying to maintain sobriety, it's like, then maybe you shouldn't smoke weed. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of people that can stop doing opiates or stop drinking and moderate weed and moderately smoke weed, and it does help them. And maybe it's better than them being on SSRIs or whatever to help with their anxiety and depression. And I'm not saying that it's not possible. I just, in my opinion, like a drug addict like Butch, it's probably not possible. And it's especially sad because he was doing so well for, he had over a year completely sober and was, seemed to be doing really well in the rooms. And then for him to step away from the room so that he could smoke pot is like, it's kind of sad. And I mean, I just, I don't think but should be smoking weed. Like there are certain people where, you know, if that's like the journey they want to go on, like I, you know, I personally know people that can do that, that have like gotten off heroin and can still maybe drink sometimes or don't drink at all, but can smoke weed. And like, I mean, I know but smoke crack. He didn't do heroin, but whatever. And I think that's like great. And I know that states with medical marijuana, like their opiate, uh, overdose, overdose, death rates have gone down, which is also great. I think that absence doesn't work for a lot of people and harm reduction is like a very real and awesome thing. And, you know, we're in an opioid crisis and if somebody can stay alive and be like a semi-productive member of society while smoking pot instead of doing heroin, like good for you. Like who am I to judge, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says we have no monopoly on recovery I think a lot of people forget that, but I remember that. And the longer I stay sober, the less I care about how other people live their lives. But I do think there's something to be said for someone like Butch, who was able to put together over a year of continuous sobriety for the first time in his life through the rooms and seemed to be doing really well to then smoke pot is like, uh, to me, that doesn't seem like a good idea. So Tyler reminds him that, and this is why I don't think it's a good idea, because Tyler says, well, you know, two years ago, you told me, like, first it starts with smoking pot, and I smoke pot, and then I think I can drink, and then once I start drinking, like, then everything else happens. And I think that's kind of the mentality behind abstinence only, and that's the mentality behind why I don't do any drugs, because, like, once I start doing drugs, and for me, weed is a drug because I used weed like an alcoholic drinks. You know, like, I smoke pot all day long, every day for, like, 10 fucking years. So, 
for me, like, I know if I start smoking pot, like, eventually my head's going to be like, well, why can't I take a Xanax? And then I'm going to be like, well, why can't I have a drink? For me, it has to be all or nothing. But for a lot of people, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. But I think Butch has repeatedly expressed in the past that for him, it's all or nothing. Tyler reminds him that it only works if you work it, (laughs) which is another, you know, 12-step phrase. So Tyler calls Kate and tells her about the pot. And she's like, well, that's not good. And Tyler's like, yeah, I agree. So they go to Butch's girlfriend's house. She has like a huge house. I don't know what the deal is with Tyler or with Butch's girlfriend, but Amber, Tyler's sister, is there. And, you know, she sounds great. She's saying I was just helping another alcoholic. I think this is like what I was meant to do, to be here, to be sober and to help people. I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, they say the most important thing in AA is helping other people. And that's how we stay sober is through service and helping other people. And uh, Butch is like, yeah, you know, you're so good. You know how, you know that you can't, they can't fuck around with you because you know they're bullshit. And Amber's like, so who's your sponsor? And Butch says he doesn't have one. And Amber says, you know, I busted my ass because, like, I saw you succeeding and now you're smoking pot. And I, that was sad to me. That was really sad. Um, She said, you know, people in the rooms, they talk about, the rooms, by the way, I'm sure I've explained this. It just means an AA meeting (laughs) or an NA meeting, just a 12-step meeting in general. You say the rooms because it's like the rooms of alcohol. It's anonymous. So she says, you know, people in the rooms talk about marijuana maintenance and they'll be, they'll do marijuana maintenance for 10 years and they start drinking again. Which, yeah, you hear stories like that all the time. I mean, you also hear people who are sober for 10 years and started drinking again. (laughs) So I don't know. I understood what she was trying to say is that you hear these stories about people that did marijuana maintenance and it wasn't great for them and that they're a lot happier now that they're working the steps. That's what she meant to say. And she she says, you're not sober. She says, you're absolutely not sober. You're using a mind-altering substance. And I agreed with her. Uh Tyler comes home and he basically says, like, you know, I don't think you should be doing it. I think it's bullshit, but I'm not a sponsor. I'm not trying to be a sponsor and I'm done trying to control what he does. You know what? I actually thought Tyler handled Butch really well in this whole episode. He didn't push back. He didn't call Butch out. He lately was like, you told me that you can't smoke weed. I don't think that's sober. Dr. Drew doesn't think that's sober. Amber said that that's not sober. But he also didn't flip out. He didn't try and control anything. I think he did well. So, yeah, proud of you, Tyler. Uh, I think Butch had, like, a real relapse since then as well. So, I think Butch's marijuana maintenance, not going great, shockingly. But anyway, that's it for this week. Two fucking episodes. Ugh, too much. All right, guys, have a good week. I'll talk to you later. Bye! This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsycho.com 